All right, thank you to the worship team. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Montana, as you know, is known as the treasure state, and this is because there's so many ancient things of great value that we just find laying around. For example, did you guys know that the world's most complete Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton was found in Montana in 1997? And it's actually on display down in Bozeman. How about this? Do you guys know in the summer of 2019, a mining company in Butte unearthed a 64-carat sapphire that's approximately the size of a jumbo marshmallow? <laughs> and you guys are probably familiar with the fact that hikers and ranchers and people on camping trips regularly find Clovis arrowheads, which can sell online between $800 and $3,000. So the most interesting thing to me about these items is that as valuable as they are, they were all just found laying around. They are just under the ground or on the ground. Think of how many people just walked right over them or right by them. And I think this kind of goes against our, our value that valuable things are valued by everybody and it illustrates that there are things of incredible worth that we just kind of walk past on a regular basis. Well, this is true in the Bible as well. This month we've been selecting a few psalms, which are 3,000-year-old poems and songs and prayers. And we've been examining how they still hold really valuable information for us, even though we often just flip right through or walk right by. Uh, the psalms are filled with incredibly valuable lessons on emotional and spiritual health. Uh, if you haven't already, please open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. Usually we start our sermon by reading the text of Scripture that we're going to be studying. Uh, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, so I'll let you guys skim through it as we just kind of touch on some important points. Um, if you guys are anything like me, sometimes you find yourself tempted to give in to temptation, to give in to sin, to do something that you know that maybe God's word speaks against. Maybe it's something inconsequential, maybe it's something pretty large or even against the law. And when we're in those scenarios, we often inwardly contemplate whether we should obey scripture or whether we should just kind of compromise and do our own thing. Like I said, if you guys are anything like me, you kind of ask yourself internally questions like this. What's even the point of obeying if nobody else is going to know? What's even the point of being good if God's going to forgive me anyway, even if I'm bad? Can't I just do what I want and then ask for forgiveness later? And some of you guys are giving me scolding eyes, but we all, we all go through this thought process. And... Um, I've been there, I've done that, you probably have too. Uh, what I want to show you guys is that Psalm 119 answers this question of what is the point of obeying God. And uh, it shows us at least 22 beautiful answers to that question. I want to talk through it really quickly, short sermon today. Uh, in section number one, I want to talk about the, fo the literary form of Psalm 119 because that's pretty significant. We'll go through that really quickly. And then in section two, um, I just want to point out three of the 22 great answers to that question of the benefits of being good. 
the benefits of obedience. So let's get started. Like I said, Psalm 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible, and um, its form is significant because it's an acrostic poem. Now that doesn't always come across in translation. An acrostic is something that um, each letter of the first line spells something out. So these are things that we're probably familiar with. Maybe you've had a job in sales and your sales manager told you, remember the ABCs of sales, always be closing. Or maybe you work a job where your boss said, remember the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. Right? Those are acrostics. The first letter of each line spells that out. Maybe you're a mom and on Mother's Day you got a beautiful card that had M-O-M in really big letters. And after the first M it says, magnificent. And after the, second, after the O it says, outstanding. And then it gets to the, the second M and it says, you know, they like couldn't think of any more adjectives that start with M, so it says motherly, right? Anyway, those are acrostics, right? Those are, those are things that spell something out. And Psalm 119 is an acrostic. It's not translated that way because uh, the letters of the alphabet are the Hebrew alphabet. And so it would be impossible for translators to carry that across into English. Um, but that begs a question as well. And the question is this, aren't those examples that I just gave really low forms of poetry? Isn't that very simplistic? And why would the Bible use such a lowbrow, easy form of poetry? And I think the answer is this, in all those examples, an acrostic helps you what? Remember. It helps you remember something. And so Psalm 119 is definitely not the most beautiful prose or poetry in the Bible. It's actually very general. It's very um, nonspecific. Uh, but it's written in that form because its message is something that we're meant to memorize and carry with us. We're supposed to constantly be remembering the benefits of obedience. Um, the final thing I want to point out here or uh, deal with in section one is this. Nobody wants to hear a sermon on obedience. Nobody wants to hear that we're responsible for following these guidelines that God has put in Scripture. And if there was any congregation in the country that doesn't want to hear a sermon on obedience, like probably people that live in Montana are the most independent. And we value autonomy the most. We just want a ranch. We just want a cabin. We just want everyone to leave us alone. I'll let you do whatever you want as long as you let me do whatever I want. That's, that's how the mindset is here. We all want our kids to obey us. We all want our coworkers to obey us. But when it comes to us being under the authority of anything else, hey man, I just want to do my own thing. I think we can probably all relate to that. So that makes a sermon or a chapter of the Bible that deals with obedience, uh, we want to lean away from that. We don't want to lean into that. Um, and uh, just for the sake of an entrance point, what does obedience mean? Like, like there's so much in the Bible. There's, there's hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Um, there's, there's so many things that, that Paul and the apostles ask of us in the New Testament. Just for the sake of keeping this super simple, I just want everyone to think of the Ten Commandments. Obviously, obeying God is, is so much broader than that. It's so much deeper. It's so much more nuanced. But the Ten Commandments say, have no other gods. Don't worship idols. Don't take God for granted. Remember and keep the Sabbath. Honor your mother and your father. Don't kill. 
don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Um, so just for the sake of an entrance point, let's just think about that when you hear me say obeying the Bible. And again, nobody here is interested in, 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 in having guilt heaped upon them for the times that we find ourselves giving into temptation or just not having the strength to follow those things. Um, I got an analogy that I think is helpful. Imagine for a second a trap line. This is Montana after all. Some of you probably still trap food for uh, to cut down on groceries. Now, a trapper establishes their, their trap line with bear traps and with snares. Do they just put them in a random place in the woods? No, they find the most well-worn trail between a food source and a water source. Uh, and so, an animal walking down that, that path could absolutely be uh, encumbered in a trap, or they could find the most direct path to the necessities that they're looking for. When I'm talking about Psalm 119 telling us the benefits of obedience, we can look at it in those same two ways. We can look at the, the Bible's call for us to obey God as a trap that's going to hold us down and be a burden and keep us from the freedom that we all long for, or we can look at it as the most direct path towards the essential things that we need to thrive. Um, Psalm 119 is going to help us move from that first perception that's sort of central to our human nature to that second perception that I think comes from spiritual Christian maturity. All right, let's jump in to section two. And I just want to give you guys a quick promise. Uh, this is not a sermon full of guilt. Psalm 119 is not meant to make you feel bad. Psalm 119 is not meant to discourage you. It's not meant for you to feel shame. It's meant to encourage you that there are benefits from having the discipline uh, to obey what God has put before us. So at this point, let's move forward and let me just draw out three of my favorite benefits of obedience from Psalm 119. The first one is this. Look at uh, verse 33. I think verse 33 tells us that obedience is the best path to find God's will for our life. Let me explain how I came to that because uh, there's a really fun use of sort of poetic, non-conventional language here. Probably in your Bible, Psalm 119.33 says this, Instruct me, Lord, in the way of your laws so that I might keep them without fail. And that just seems pretty straightforward. But this is a great example of how a translator kind of falls into a trap that he or she can't win. And I want to explain that as we get to the, the, the meaning of this. So the word here, the, the Hebrew word that's used for without fail, it has two meanings, okay? When it's, in a, when it's kind of a conjunction or a word that's linking something, it means either without fail or because. But when it's a noun, it means heal, like the heel of your foot, okay? So this poor translator saw this word that could either mean without fail or the heel of your foot, and he, had to, he or she had to make the decision which way he was going to go as he translated that into English. But what I'm trying to point out is that the original poet, the original songwriter, didn't have that restriction. They could choose a word that absolutely meant both which just brings a depth and a beauty to the original song or the original poem. In other words, 
the, first, the a Hebrew person reading this or hearing this uh, sung at the synagogue or, or, or recited to them by their mother or father could have come up with the meaning, instruct me, Lord, in the way of your laws so that I might keep them without fail. Or they might have heard the exact same words, meaning, instruct me, Lord, in the way of your statutes so that I might follow your heel. Think about that. You see somebody's heel, you're following them down the road. You're following them down the path. In other words, this is very poetically reminding us that when we obey God, we will see his heel. We will see the path that he wants us to walk. Now, if you're in your 20s, I don't need to uh, explain to you all the major difficult life decisions that you're going through right now. Uh, but for anybody that, like myself that's a little bit older than that, I just want you to think back to that time in your life where every time you went on a date, you asked yourself, is this the person that I'm going to marry? Every time you went to work, you, you, you asked yourself, is this the career path that I'm supposed to walk? Every time you got two bills in the mail, you had to ask yourself, which one of these should I pay because I can't pay both, right? Like that's just a decade of life that's full of really difficult choices. And uh, I just want to give an illustration that when I was in that decade of my life, for the first year or two of, or three, um, I wasn't living obediently to God. I had things in my life that were out of order and I was really confused and when it came time to relationships, when it came time to academic choices, when it came down to relational choices, I didn't have clarity. And maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Every time I just had the, the most simple decision, I was in agony about what should I do? What choice can I make that won't compromise future choices? How do I move forward without moving back? And uh, I'm sure a lot of you have been in that mindset. I remember a lot of my friends during, during those ages would say, I just, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Uh, but then in the, the years to follow, specifically my mid-20s, um, God did a, a work of grace in my life, nothing that I did, but through God's goodness, I got things figured out a little bit. I was living more obediently to God. And there was an incredible change in my decision-making process. It's not that I got smarter. It's just that there was a lot more clarity about where I was supposed to walk when I could see God's heel. And now decision-making was as simple as following the path that God had walked before me. So the first great benefit or encouragement that I want to present you from Psalm 119, I mean, there's over 22, but the first beautiful one that jumped out to me is that obedience is how we see where God is walking, how we can follow him, and the clarity that comes as a result. And I hope, you, I, hope I did a good job explaining the beauty of that poet's non-conventional uh, uh, writing. We follow God's laws because, but we also follow God's laws because we see his heel and it's easy to follow his path. All right, a second beautiful example of the benefits of, of obedience come in verse 70, and it's this. It says, obedience keeps us heart healthy. Uh, my, my translation said, The disobedience heart grows dull like fat. As for me in your teaching, I delight. Isn't that interesting that the Bible's talking about heart health? This week my son was working on some sixth grade science homework and he had to write out some definitions. And he said, Dad, what is the definition for material? I had to think about that for a second. And I just said, you know, I, I, it's just a type of a substance. It's just a substance. And this verse is demonstrating that even 3,000 years ago, they had some sort of understanding of 
the material or the substance of the heart. They knew that some people had a healthy heart. They knew that some people had a fat or a greasy heart, as it says in some translations. Um, of course, 99% of the time in the Bible, and probably even modern conversations, that we use the word heart, it's really a metaphor for somebody's output, somebody's ability to love. And the same is true in the Bible as well. So what it's really telling us here is that obedience and following Scripture's guidelines gives us a healthier ability to love others well. Do you want a fat and greasy heart in your ability to love and care for others? Or do you want that to be clear and strong and healthy? Do we have any dog owners here this afternoon? All right. Um, one of my chores growing up was to give uh, our dog his heartworm medicine. And one day I asked my dad, like, why do we give this to our dog? Like, they're not, they don't really have worms in their heart, do they? And he's like, well, yeah. Actually, if you don't give your dog that medicine, they'll get tiny little parasites that burrow holes through their heart. And I thought that was horrifying that that could happen to a dog. In the same way, Psalm 119, verse 70 is telling us that disobedience to the way that God has called us to live burrows little unhealthy holes in our heart, our capacity to love and care for others. And I think that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. If you commit adultery, your capacity for faithfulness and fidelity has tiny little holes in it. If you covet your neighbor's things and you feed your jealousy, your capacity to be a good friend and a good neighbor develops tiny little holes in it. If you lie and steal, your capacity to have great friendships and relationships with character has little tiny holes in it. But again, I don't think Psalm 119 is supposed to be negative. It's supposed to be positive, and it's telling us that when you are struggling with that decision to obey the Ten Commandments, to obey Scripture, or not to obey, one of the benefits if you choose obedience is a healthier capacity to love and care for others. And the final thing I wanted to draw out from our, uh, psalm, our study of Psalm 119 is this. Uh, it tells us in verse um, 83, remember I told you it was really long. It says, Obedience forms us into something useful during the pain or the sting of suffering. So um, most of the, the poetry, most of the lines in Psalm 119 is just like really specific, really basic, really nonspecific. Uh, but, uh, but this one gets, gets really specific. Um, let me, I lost my page marker, but um, I didn't. Yeah, here it is. So Psalm 119.83 says this, Though I was like a skin flask in the smoke, your statutes I did not forget. That's not something that makes a lot of sense like to a, to a modern audience. Though I was like a skin flask in smoke, your statutes I did not forget. That's weird for us in 2023, but it would have been really clear to the original audience. Uh, so probably half the people here today brought in like a plastic or a metal water bottle. Of course, back in those days, they didn't have plastic and they stored a lot of water and like pottery. But if you were going on a hike, if you were walking to another town, you couldn't bring a giant uh, pot with you. So personal essential water was carried in these little, little leather sacks. And for those to be formed, for those to be expanded, for those to be useful, they had to be cured in the smoke. 
Okay? So the poet is giving us this imagery of this piece of leather that's sewed together, but before it can be filled, before it can be useful, before it can give you your essential personal water, it has to be held in the bitterness of the smoke, and that makes it pliable, and then you can form it into the shape that it needs to be. So, in that light, this verse is telling us that when you will suffer, but you stay faithful to God, you can take comfort in the fact that you're becoming pliable, you're becoming formed, and God is going to use the lessons of that suffering for your benefits, but also the benefits of others. Uh, when my son was in second grade, uh, we found out that uh, he was uh, diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes. He wouldn't get to go on sleepovers. He wouldn't get to go to summer camp. We were going to have to personally monitor what he ate and his blood sugar and his insulin intake. And our lives would be very different from that point forward. We were devastated. We couldn't understand why God would allow something like that to happen. And just a day or two later, there was this wonderful family at our church who themselves had a teenage daughter uh, who was a beautiful cheerleader, uh, friendly, outgoing, who herself had had type 1 diabetes for many years. The fact that that family was in our church, showing up on Sundays, being good neighbors, caring for their community, and taking the time to model to us that, that, that our lives would go on and our, our family would be strong, was just incredibly helpful to us in that time. When they were in the smoke, when they were suffering, when they got that news, they chose to be obedient. They chose to stay faithful. They chose uh, to stay hopeful. And then that became an incredible, um, they became incredible role models to us when we received that devastating news. Likewise, a few years later, when someone in this community found out that their son of the same age had type 1 diabetes, we were able to be that hopeful family full of faith. Uh, Psalm 119.83 is telling us that, that when you're suffering and you're tempted to just turn your back on God, but also contemplating staying faithful, staying hopeful, God is using the sting of that suffering, the sting of that smoke, to form you into something that's going to have great value to others moving forward. Um, I want to invite the worship team to come forward and wrap up our service. Um, if you guys are encouraged that there are benefits of obedience, I want you to go home and read Psalm 119 because there's a hundred more verses that continue to unpack the benefits of how God's guidelines aren't meant to hang over our heads and make us feel guilty. They're not a trap from keeping us from our freedom. They're that path to our essential needs. They're the path for us to thrive emotionally and spiritually like God intends. I hope nobody feels like I hit them over the head with this Bible. I hope people feel encouraged that obedience is the path for us to thrive as God intends. Let's think about that as we close with this final song or two. Could you please